In Mark chapter 7, we see another clash between Jesus and the Pharisees. So it's a good time to remind ourselves of who the Pharisees are so we can appreciate the debate that we read in verses 1 through 12. We read a few weeks ago about how Israel going into captivity was for the explicit reason that they had broken the covenant with God. They weren't keeping the Ten Commandments, nor were they honoring God through their holy behavior. So God brings in Babylon, and he carts them off to a foreign land for the next 70 years' punishment. Now, when Israel came back, there's a very real concern to never violate the covenant like that ever again. They had learned their lesson. They wanted God to come back to his temple, and they wanted to resume their relationship with him. So if breaking the covenant and all its laws is what drove God away, maybe we can encourage him to come back by keeping the law extra good. And that's where we see the tradition of the elders come into play. In order to keep the law better, they began to explain in detail how to keep all of those vague laws. For example, in Leviticus 19.9, we read that when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So don't reap the very edges of your field so that the poor of the land can come in and find food for themselves. But then how do we define an edge? Is it one foot deep, three feet, or, or something else entirely? Well, the Pharisees, they would use their traditions to define these more vague laws and then make them just as binding as the law itself. So these Pharisees, they see Jesus and his disciples eating with unwashed hands. Now, this is nowhere commanded in the law of Moses, but it was in their tradition. So naturally, they throw a fit and ask Jesus what the deal is with his disciples. In Mark 7, verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? Now, from this point, Jesus launches an attack on the traditions of the Pharisees. First, he quotes Isaiah at them. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Isaiah, he had condemned his generation a long time ago for loving their ritual worship of God more than having a transformed heart. And they excused their lack of love, compassion, and justice, and they excused it with sacrifice and temple worship. Jesus brings the same condemnation onto the Pharisees of his day. Their traditions were all a vain attempt to please God, while keeping them from keeping the actual commands of God. In an ironic twist, Isaiah had told Israel in his day that because of their vain worship, they would be driven into exile. Now, the Pharisees are trying to avoid exile by repeating the very same sin. And this is all exemplified in a specific tradition that Jesus condemns. In Mark chapter 7, verse 9, he says to him, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. The command that God had given was to honor your father and mother. Keep them happy, healthy, and safe as best you can, especially into their twilight years. But the Pharisees, they found a loophole. They had a tradition that you could dedicate some of your money or property to God and call it Corbin. As something dedicated to God, you can't just give it away to anybody else. And here's the catch. It was only fully dedicated to God after you had died. So a greedy son can tell his parents, I can't sell that field to support you. It's dedicated to God. And all the while, he gets to continue planting and harvesting it. 
From this example, Jesus redefines matters of purity, of being clean and unclean. The Pharisees, they had seen their relationship with God in external forms. Worship, ritual, prayer schedules, their various traditions. But Jesus redefines purity as our behaviors. In verse 20, he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. If we're not careful, we can fall into the very same thinking that condemned the Pharisees. If we try to define our holiness by ritual, by traditions, by our Sunday worship exclusively, all at the neglect of a transformed character, then we are worshiping in vain. We can't disregard God's commands and substitute our own traditions for them. Now, at the end of the chapter, we have some pretty odd stories. The first is of a Gentile woman who begs Jesus to heal her daughter, and Jesus shockingly dismisses her, and he even calls her a dog. In verse 27, he said to her, Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The woman replies in verse 28, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, Because of this reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. In the beginnings of the gospel, there's definitely a Jewish priority. In the book of Acts, Jesus says that his apostles are going to be witnesses first in Judea, then Samaria, and the rest of the world. Whenever Paul would travel, he would first go to the Jewish synagogues before attempting to teach any Gentiles. The woman, she seems to acknowledge her place in God's plan, while at the same time recognizing that even the smallest bit of God's power is more than enough for her. She agrees with Jesus and puts herself at the feet of the table as a dog, asking only for a crumb. And it's because of this answer, her admission of her humble state, that Jesus heals her daughter. Faith doesn't just acknowledge who God is, but who we are in relationship to him. Nobody. The second story is odd in how Jesus heals this man. In all other miracles, Jesus is able to heal with a word or a touch or even through his clothing. In verses 31 through 37, we have Jesus healing this man in a weird way. He sticks his fingers in his ears, spits on the ground, touches the guy's tongue, sighs deeply, and then says, Ephaphtha. The best that I can make of this miracle is that Jesus is using a sort of improvised sign language to tell this deaf man what to expect. Touching his ears and tongue indicates what Jesus is interested in. And in ancient Jewish culture, the spit of certain individuals was thought to have healing properties. And so Jesus is telling this man through his actions to expect healing, specifically for his ears and tongue. And sure enough, the man is healed and all are astonished. What the story of the Gentile woman and the deaf man have in common, though, is that they were both considered unclean by Jewish standards. They were Gentiles. Yet Jesus has just told us that our categories of clean and unclean need to be reworked. Clean and unclean is not about what you were born as, where you're from, or what disabilities you deal with. Being with God is a choice, a choice to live a holy life that keeps the commandments of God.